0: Uh, Tonight, we're reading from Exodus 32. Uh, The silly title is because um, I started writing this sermon at 1 o'clock this afternoon, and uh, I didn't have a title until I stood right there at 7.30. So um, I have no idea if it means anything uh, pertinent to the passage, but we'll see. So uh, Exodus chapter 32, um, beginning in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly and have worshipped uh, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back that were written. And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound or the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on on your side, each of you, and go to and from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. In that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now if you will forgive their sin. But if not, please blot out me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go and lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is the word of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> as with many of the passages in Exodus, it's hard. There's so many different things going on. It's kind of carried along a good storyline, and then you know, all of a sudden, people are getting killed. And it's just kind of like, man, what's going on here? Uh, <clears throat> Les Newsom, a pastor that I uh, like a lot, I follow. Um, he kind of introduced this this story tonight, this passage in this way. He said, "Have you ever had? Um, sorry. Um, have you ever had someone who just didn't accept you for who you were? They wanted you to be somebody different." And they kind of treated you as if you were that different person. Now, it suggests that if, if any of you who have ever been in a dating relationship that didn't work, then then you know what this feels like. Uh, this won't be too strange of an idea, and you know that the end of the relationship is coming. When that frustration gets to, starts to mount, whenever the guy or the girl starts relating to you in a way that. In a sense to where he wishes you were something else, and he kind of starts relating to you as if you were that other thing, someone he wishes you were instead of who you actually are. Let me explain. At some point, um, you guys will get mad at the girl because she's just too jealous of your time. Um, You've just spent the fifth night in a row playing video games or hanging out with your guy friends, and you text her at the end of the night and say, hey, you want to hang out? And um, which actually we know just means make out. And um, you know she may put up with that for a few times because she's kind of intrigued by you and you're giving her attention. Um, but after a little while, she gets the sense that you actually don't care for who she is. You, kind of, you wish she was this person who would just kind of be at your beck and call and respond to your text and say, oh, I would love to spend time with you. Nothing would make me more excited. But that's just not reality because... Most days of the week, you kind of don't show her that you give a care about her. You aren't relating to her as she actually is. You get frustrated with her because she won't do what you want. And girls, in that scenario, you've been made into an image of something that you're not. And you've been desired in a way that is contrary to who you are and and the things that you at least want to think are true about you. That you're worth somebody's time or that um, there might be a guy out there who actually wants to be with you or spend time with you. But you begin to see that that's not happening. And so that's frustrating. And he moves on and you're left to wonder, you kind of feel used at the end of it. Like, gosh, did he ever like the real me? And that goes both ways. Guys can feel it the same way in different circumstances. And I say that to illustrate the simple point from this final passage for the semester is that God loves God loves us. And He's demonstrated that time and time again to His people in this book of Exodus. He's pursued them amidst their great sin. And He has called them out of darkness into light and all of these things. And it has been made clear that God loves His people. He loves us. And He commands us to relate to Him as He actually is. As He actually is, not as we wish for Him to be. And we saw that a few weeks ago as we started looking at the laws that God gave the people of Israel so that they might enjoy Him. He said, you're not going to be able to enjoy Me if you live outside of these boundaries, outside of this thing that I've put in place. You will be most you, most alive, if you will live this way. And then we saw last week that God gave them a promise that He would come and be in their midst as close as He had ever been before if they would build the tabernacle, this tent of meeting with these exact specifications. And once they did it, He came and He was in their presence. He says, I want to be with you, but you must have me as I actually am, not in a way that just suits our fancy. That kind of is, we don't get to make God like we want Him to be and expect Him to show up and mean anything for us because that's not how He works. We tend to love God or the idea of God who makes our life nice and who, maybe like the people in this passage, who He protects them or He might protect us. So maybe occasionally we acknowledge Him for that. God, thank You for for keeping me from doing terrible things or keeping me safe or something like that. But we really don't like a God who makes us take Him as He is and who sets the, the terms of the relationship. He says, if you want me, you have to have the real me. I want to suggest three quick things, and I think they're quick because I didn't have long to write this, um, that have to happen if we're to ever have a real relationship with God. Three things. The first one is we have to see sin for what it is. Look, what actually was the sin? What actually was going on in this passage that was so bad? Now, something bad was happening. You can look out and say, it seems bad that they made a golden calf. But what actually about that was so bad? Because if you would look back, and I, I didn't put it up there, but if you'd look back at the passage, you would read things like when they worshipped the calf, it says that they were actually worshipping the Lord as they like bowed down to this calf. That they thought they were worshipping God. In worshipping this calf. But what it said just a few... Two weeks ago for us, about ten chapters earlier, I don't know how long ago that was for them, was God said, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not not make for yourself any image of me. You shall not bow down to it. You shall not serve it. And that is precisely what they're doing here. You could say that their hearts were right. They actually wanted to worship God, but good grief, he's had Moses up there on the mountain 40 days. We don't even know... What's happening? Like, is Moses ever going to come down? Is he still alive? I don't know. Uh, so they looked at Aaron and said, Aaron, make us a calf. Give us something to do. And so then it kind of falls out from there. Aaron gets all their gold, and, um, and he fashions, them, fashions this calf for them. And God says, no. You don't get to do that. I don't, you can't make me in the image that you want and call that worship and call that following me. I am a spirit, and you worship me as such. I am not this thing to be put in front of you and worshipped. Our sin, then, is any and every time in any and every way that we seek to make God something that He isn't. So let's take that out of the ethereal into the practical. For us... Our sin isn't just the bad things that you do on the weekend or that you do late at night or or whatever. Your sin in in mankind's sin is any time that we try to make God something that He isn't or we try to attach His name to something that God is not for. Or we try to make God this person who's just... He's easily controlled and you know, He actually doesn't care about what I do on the weekends or He doesn't care about the integrity with which I deal with my homework. Or he doesn't care about the way that I talk to my to friends about other people or the way that I so, am so anxious and paralyzed over my own perfectionism because I can't trust Him with, with His goodness and what He's going to do with my life. God doesn't actually care about that. That's just kind of my stuff that I have to deal with. What matters is that I show up on Sunday and I get to I get to worship God. You know, that's, time, that's my time to connect with God. And he says, no, I'm not going to have that. Because if you act like that I'm just a one-a-week kind of God and that you can come and pay your homage to me once a week and sing and raise your hands to me, he says, no, I'm not going to take it. Because part of God being God and Him being your God is that He is Lord. He gets all of you. And He wants everything you do to be centered on Him. And any time we want Him to be less than that, we are defaming Him. We are worshiping a golden calf of a God. Whenever your thought is, I know God will forgive me, so I'm going to go ahead and... blank. I know God is gracious. I read about it in the Bible. And so I'm just going to go ahead and do this. Whenever that's your thought, you have to have in your mind that you are worshiping a God that doesn't exist. Because the God of the Bible is not cool with that. He won't have it. You've made God into your own image. He's become something or someone manageable for you to kind of have this little fake relationship with. And Moses' response in this passage is right. He gets angry. He gets angry. He's up there on the mountain with God, and God tells him what's going on. Moses gets angry, and God is angry at their sin. They should be. It's ugly. So that's the real God. The second thing we have to see is the real us. We have to see sin for what it is and how God responds to that, but we have to see who we really are. Now, if we're trying to find ourselves in this passage, we tend to maybe kind of want to think we're like Moses. Like, you're a TU, so you're a good leader, right? And you, you, you commune with God, and you read His Bible, and so you need to go and tell all these people what God says. The passage actually doesn't let us be Moses. Uh, we're actually, well, we're a little bit more like Aaron, um, and this is why. That we don't like to deal with the real me. I don't like to deal with the real me. You don't like to deal with the real you. And just as there isn't a real relationship with God, as we don't take Him as, for who He is, There's also not a real relationship that you have with God if you just kind of play a game with Him. And you're never serious with Him about who you are and your struggles and your doubts and all of these things and your fears. It's not real. Okay, this is going to get personal for a few of us, Uh, Chris and Paige, but this is why The Bachelor is so ridiculous. Sorry. Behind the scenes of The Bachelor... Uh, you know, whenever they're not on the dates, or whatever they call them, um, whenever they're not on the date, you know, the, the cameras give us the insight as to what's actually going on at the house full of girls, or the house full of guys, you know, when it's the Bachelorette. And they're just, they're backbiting, and there are these cat fights and all this stuff, and the people just aren't that nice. And occasionally they'll be like, you know, the token Christian girl who's just getting killed on the program. Um, you know, and, and they, she's like a Paschal lamb over there, just whatever. And so, um, but. But then they zoom into the dates, and when they when they go to be in front of the bachelor, you know, they, ever, they just act so sweet and so innocent, like they're the best person in the world, and inevitably they're making a connection with him, and like, and make I'll just say, it's so ridiculous, right? Now, um, we have a, the privilege of being on this side of the video camera, of being on this side of that reality TV set. That we get to see all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and so it's ridiculous, and we know it, but we just kind of—some of us play along with it. Um, We get to see when they're acting snooty, but when you are dating guys and girls, you get away with this junk all the time because they get to see this artificial you. You pop into their life for a few hours a day, and you're chipper, and you're happy, and you're all these things, and so. Uh, you end up kind of in this fake relationship with each other where for like five months it's just awesome and nothing goes wrong at all. And then at about month six, something terrible happens and you realize you actually hate each other. And it doesn't work because you've gotten to see each other's sin and the ugliness of it and how actually, uh, you know, you've been doubting this all along but you felt too scared to actually let it show. You know all that junk that happens. Um, Chris Rock has a hilarious, uh, I don't recommend Chris Rock. Um, Chris <clears throat> Rock. But I do. Uh, He has this hilarious uh, stand-up thing. I'll tell you what wasn't hilarious is when I brought this up in premarital counseling. Um, Whenever we were kind of starting in, and uh, the pastor who was talking to us uh, said, you know, do you feel like you all have been pretty honest with each other? And I was like, oh, I saw this Chris Rock skit where he was joking about, like, when you're dating, the person you're dating doesn't see the real you. You know, you're just hiding all this stuff. And I'm, like, talking about this in premarital counseling. And Sarah, and our pastor's eyes, just get this big, and they're like, is that what you've been doing? Like, Do I even know the real you? Um, it was a very hard moment, I assure you. Um, <clears throat> we have to realize that when we come before God, we're like Aaron. He blame shifts. Look, he says to God, come on. You know, to Moses, you know these people. You know how they can be. Evil in their hearts. Don't be mad at them. right? It is Aaron's fault. That is made so clear in the passage, actually in verse 35 it says, uh, Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made a calf, the one Aaron made. The onus of this sin was squarely on Aaron. Here he is, he's trying to to blame shift to Moses. He's like, look, the people around me, I don't know, they kept throwing their rings at me. And then it's hilarious, and then he downplays the sin. So he blame shifts and he downplays it. He's like, they gave me all their gold and they did all of this. I mean, look. I threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. It's so ridiculous. It's stupid. You're just like, Moses, really? Verse 4 is very clear. It said that he fashioned it, like he chiseled it or whatever you do with gold, and he made a calf. But Moses is downplaying it. He tries to manage the picture of who he is with Moses, and therefore to God, as Moses was the mediator. It doesn't work. It's exactly why some of us feel so distant with God so many times. So often, we just try to present this manageable version of us to God. Whether that's we try to just clean ourselves up so that we don't have all the junk, or we just are too ashamed to go to Him so we don't because of our junk. Both of those things lead us to distance. Because we're trying to give God something and someone that we're not. And it's fake. If you've ever sat, perhaps even at RUF, and you've sung the songs, but you never really feel any sort of connection with the words or that God is actually doing something in you, or if you go to church, perhaps you've been in church your whole life, and it's just felt like a sham. I would challenge you to be honest with God. Tell Him, these are the things I'm doing wrong, these are the things I've done wrong. And I just want to acknowledge that before you, God, so you can tell me once again that I'm clean. You can tell me, remind me through the Scripture that Jesus had paid paid for everything. And see if that might help you to experience what He's offering you in the Gospel. If a relationship with God is ever going to work, if we're ever going to enjoy the freedom that He has bought us from our slavery to sin, We have to take Him for who He he is. We have to give Him the real you, the real me. And when we fail to do either, the Bible calls it sin. But there's help. There's help for us. We have to realize that we need it. Look, Moses he wasn't the ideal leader of God's people. He emerges in this picture as the leader. God called him to lead Israel out of slavery and into freedom in the Promised Land. But Moses was not ideal. He had some massive failures along the way. Massive, gaping failures. But God called him to lead them out. He said, Moses, I'm not giving up on you. You are my man. You are going to bring them out. So he had successes and he had failures. But here is one of his... Fantastic successes. In a moment of brilliance and leadership, he realized that the people needed help. He realized that they had committed this grievous sin against God. They had bowed down to this golden calf, and it was awful. And he tells the people that he will go and talk to the Lord on their behalf, that he will go mediate between them and God so that they don't have to approach God on his own, on their own. Because they were filthy, they were dirty, they have just sinned against Him blatantly. And God's wrath is, is real, and His holiness is pure, and he, can't, he doesn't want to be in the midst of that sort of uncleanness, and that sort of idolatry. And so Moses says, I will go represent you to God. I will mediate for you. I will go, and perhaps I'll be able to atone or pay for your sin to appease God. And so that's what he does, and when he's talking to God, he looks at God and says, God, please, please don't blot, at, blot them out. I always think of a bingo st- a blotter. That's all I can think of. God, please don't blot them out. Please don't make them disappear under the weight of your wrath. Blot me out instead. Will you do that, God? Will you take me instead of them? And God doesn't accept Moses' request god doesn't consume moses right there before them why moses is what the bible calls a type of jesus he is a type of jesus with jesus being the anti type moses is the shadow and jesus is the reality Moses was a mediator, yes, but he wasn't the perfect mediator. Moses was a leader, yes, but he wasn't the perfect leader. Moses was a redeemer and he brought them out of slavery, but he wasn't the redeemer who would come and ultimately deliver mankind out of slavery into freedom. Jesus was. And so when Moses goes to God and says, God, blot my sin out, blot me out instead of them for their sin, God doesn't accept it. Why? Because Moses himself was sinful. Moses had nothing to offer the people in return. If he was to take their sin on himself, he would be offering them his own sin, and they would still be guilty. And so throughout the Old Testament, what the story of Exodus begins to introduce and what the thrust of the Old Testament is doing, even through the kings, as the kings of Israel come, there was this pregnant expectation of waiting for a good king who would finally come and lead the people in righteousness. And David gets close, but he doesn't quite get there. And there were some other good kings, but they don't quite get there. And they also were types of Jesus. They were shadows waiting for the reality to come. And when Jesus Christ comes, He gets to be that mediator. He gets to be the leader. He gets to be the Redeemer. He gets to be the King. He gets to be the sacrifice who can atone for man's sin. Because when Jesus stands before God, and the picture we see in the New Testament is Him doing that very thing on the cross. He's standing before God. Literally, He's lifted up between man man. And God, He's mediating for us before God and saying, God, I am taking their sin on me. Blot me out. But Jesus doesn't offer them His own sin in return because He had none. He offers them His perfect righteousness. Jesus on the cross offers you His perfection. His perfect righteousness. And that doesn't make you perfect right now. But what it means is that when God looks at your account of sin, there is none there. It was all paid on the cross. That if your trust is in what Jesus did, when God looks at you, you are sinless in your account. And He has begun, if that is you, He's begun this process of sending His Spirit into you like we looked last week because you're clean. And His Spirit is going to begin changing you. And He's going to begin removing the sin out of our life and, and cutting the cobwebs that have entangled us and entrenched us, freeing us from the shackles of everything that you look at and say, I don't want to do that. In Jesus, God is setting you free from those things. He's already declared you to be clean, and now He's setting you free and making you clean. So, what happens if we fail to see and embrace what God does for us in Christ? In the movie Aladdin, (laughs) obviously, um, in the movie Aladdin, you get right down at the end of the movie, and Jafar has made two of his wishes already, and he has one wish remaining. And Jafar has spent his time always trying to be the biggest and the best and the most powerful. And Aladdin comes to him at the end and says to him, in essence, you will never be the most powerful person until you yourself are the genie. Because so long as he is the genie and you are not, he has power over you. He controls your destiny. He controls who you are and what you get to do. He's the one with the power. He made you what you are, and he can take it away. That's what Aladdin is saying. And so Jafar, mulling through that with his third wish, it's obvious what he wants. He wants to be the genie. He wants to be the one with the power. And as Aladdin says... He has phenomenal cosmic power, but an itty-bitty living space because he gets his wish. Why do I say that right now? Because if you never accept God for who he is and what he has done for you because he loves you and sending Jesus to take your sin from you and he now frees you from everything that entangles you and he gives you a life to live and says, yes, you shall live this way. And if you can't get your mind around serving that kind of God who would love you to that degree to actually say, and here is how you shall live. If that's not the God that you want to serve, then friends, you've made God in your own image. And when you serve a God that you've made in your own image, you're trying to get all the power for yourself. And you end up like Jafar, Thinking you have tons of power, but realizing that in and of itself, it's a whole new kind of constraint. That you were never meant to be the most powerful. You were never meant to be the sovereign king and ruler of your own life. God is. What's He like? How could I trust Him? Look at the person of Jesus. What did he do? He came not to be served, but to serve. Could you follow? Could you give yourself to a God who doesn't demand your obedience because he is some mean and, and far reaching God, but who invites you into that by first loving you and serving you? Friends, it is not a harsh a harsh way of life. It is joy and it is peace. And as we've been saying from week to week, it is freedom. And to follow him is life and joy and deep happiness. The kind of deep happiness that every single one of you longs for. So, would you, if tonight for the first time, would you come to him? Could you trust him? Could you follow him? And if you have been following Him, could you turn to Him again in just a moment and say, God, I have lived on my own. I have sought to do things on my own. I want to experience the freedom of living within Your goodness. Let's pray.